Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. And welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. Good afternoon, Christopher. How are you today? Doing well. How are you? I'm I'm fabulous. I don't think I've ever called you Christopher. Is that actually your full name? No, it isn't. But that's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Some people refer to me as Christoph too, so I just go with Christoph. Oh, is that that's not your full name either? Is your full name is Chris? It's just Chris. Yeah. So wow. (laughs) uh, I've already screwed this up, and I just started. This is incredible. No, I'm. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I have I have a couple of friends at work named Chris, and then there's you, and then there's our audio editor. Nobody knows what I'm talking about when I make a reference. I should spell it because everyone has a slightly different spelling. But anyways, yeah. or, it's going well. Just refer to the last name, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Hans. How's it going, Hans? No. Christensen doesn't sound as good. <laughs> uh, it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't roll off the tongue. Hans is a better last name. Um, what's new with you? What's going on? Same old. Just getting geared up for the the fall. How about you? Settling into your house. I am settling into the house. I have, um, I was working on the lawn up to five minutes before I came here. So I, uh, well, I I did have a shower because I was just, it's hot. Well, it's not really hot. hot. It is hot. What's 20. Okay. So it's 25 degrees Celsius is what 75 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. So for, there are people from the States who listen. So now I have to explain any political references have to be explained. Any conversion to metric have to be explained. Uh, based on our data of our listeners. But yeah, I think, you know, 25 slash 75, um, uh, it was hot. I bought a really cool weed eater. Well, I don't think students will care about this. Maybe some of the faculty will. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted a weed eater because I mean, have uh, up the house, it's a very steep front lawn, which sure. pros and cons, the benefit is it's really good for drainage. The, the downside is that it's harder to mow because you're having to mow up. But we have a we have a really nice... Uh, stone walkway and i'm sure it'll need to be leveled out at some point but the grass always grows super long along the edge of the driveway and the walkway probably because of where water gathers and stuff and you know pools there whatever yeah so i had to get in there with the weed eater um but in addition to that i have been walking around the neighborhood and admiring the that kind of vertical edge that people have on their lawn like the separate (laughs) from the thing and i was like how do they do this so i watched all of these videos on how to do edging, I uh, was all jealous because, you know, um, the front, the end of the lawn started to look like crap. And I was like, and it's it's practical when you're mowing too, because then you don't have to mow all the way onto the sidewalk. You could you could just go along the edge yeah. if you tilted it right and, and you can cut it. Um, so anyways, I went and I looked for uh, a weed eater and I like to fix things. I uh, I guess some people don't know this. I like handyman kind of stuff, but certainly not. I don't consider myself a professional, but I, I enjoy it. So it's a disaster when I go into a place like Canadian Tire Home Depot. It just costs everybody a fortune. So I went in and I bought a Ryobi. That's the Home Depot brand weed eater because I was told I got a good tip from someone that said, if you're looking for kind of like a home quality, not a professional quality, but tools like that, and you want cordless, I was told the Ryobis are pretty good because I guess their batteries fit so many tools. So I guess this has a tech angle to it. They yeah, have that's true. just 150 
in the 18 volt battery range, there's 150 cordless tools that I can use that battery for. So like, like, let's say I wanted a trimmer or I wanted something where I don't want to have an extension cord. Uh, I can buy an 18 volt version. They have 40 volt versions, but there's fewer tools that support 40 volt and the battery runtime isn't as long because it's pulling a lot, uh, a lot more wattage. But so I bought this, this 18 volt but I paid for the, the fancier version of the 18 volt because it has, so a weed eater has that guard on it and that spinning wire, right? And then of course you yeah. can put blades on it and stuff for the thick stuff. But it also has this kickstand and then it goes and it turns on its side and there's a little wheel and you can like wheel it along the edge. It's just like a trans transform. So you don't have to like actually turn the thing. So then I, I did that and then I learned how to kind of finesse the edge. So now I have almost as the grass is thickening, almost a total vertical edge across the front of the lawn, except for this one part uh, that I think somebody ran over with their car. So it's, just, uh, <laughs> I have to fix that. that. That's, that's a little bit more work, but anyways, it's fun. That's yeah. probably not interesting for some of our clientele. Yeah. Um, well, this is a, this is bonus, uh, you know, remarks for this is gold right here. You're going to learn about how I, I fixed the fence. I fixed part of the fence. That was fun. Mm -hmm. One of the boards was warping. So I soaked it so it would bend the other way. And then I screwed it back down. Uh, mm -hmm. I bought a new skill saw. And so it's all sorts of fun. Yeah. Or not. The, only, the one thing that I was really amazed by, I had these like, uh, uh, really long weeds like this year I didn't get weed man and uh, mm -hmm. just to see if after all these years because we're still getting weeds even though none of our neighbors they're not uh, uh, you know subscribing to that or what have you and then it flies into my lawn anyway so I looked up how do you get rid of dandelions naturally and the easiest way is to actually take boiling water and just pour it on top and what's and that do to the grass surprisingly not much because i think the you know the roots are just so deep like that's a i tried it out in certain spots that nobody would notice so just to experiment and uh, yeah nothing happened to the grass but the the dandelions just shriveled up and like especially the i don't know if you've seen like those like robust dandelions that have like the thorns and stuff like i just poured a little bit out of our kettle and the thing next day i looked at it and it was just gone and uh, withered away and then i just uh, took some rubber gloves and pulled it out and man like the the roots must have been probably close to a foot yeah they're deep we have a backyard part of our we have a fairly large lot i don't know what how big yours is ours is a 0.16 it's pretty big and but there's a part that's carved out that was like a parking pad in the back like we have an attached garage but there's like a parking pad thing yeah and that that until recently was just a jungle like I did, I took your advice and I went out there and tried that boiling water because there's gravel under it. So I wasn't as concerned about the glass or the grass and it seemed to work. I didn't, you know, it was funny. The, the dandelions weren't as big as the ones you dealt with, but I have that. It's like this long creeping along the ground weed and it has oh, yeah. super deep roots, but you kind of have to rake it up and then you have to find wherever the roots are and you have to pull it out. Well, I did the hot water on that. And it died, but it made it really easy to find because the only thing that was substantial left over was the root part because it's hard to find them. I kept pulling them the the bits off. Yeah, so no, exactly. I I had some of those as well, like the where the uh, the pavement, right? Like it grew in the little cracks or whatever, and I just did that boiling water thing, and uh, yeah, amazingly, just it's gone. That's a great idea. I thought when you told me that, I was like, that's a great. Yeah. tip because i'm not i do i we did get weed man this year 
So we've reversed. Now, I don't know if we'll do it every year. Um, they had been never been done at our place. So I wanted, I know that when they spray it, and I actually looked into it, I asked them, I was like, you know, is it really toxic? And they're like, it, they said they use actually super non-toxic, but it's yeah. just targeted for specific weeds. So it's actually fairly environmentally friendly, but uh, you have to have a license to buy it is the problem. Yeah. So yeah. whatever you can, the stuff that you buy in the store, ironically, is stuff that's terrible for the environment, but the totally. stuff that they have, and maybe you can buy it and you have to get like kind of like a fishing license equivalent, but then you got to get this. It's really sticky. It's almost like sap what they spray down. So like, don't touch it. And they have like this big rubber suit. I'm thinking, I don't want to deal with this, but yeah. they, uh, they say when they spray it, it doesn't come back. Even if you don't do it every year, like it kills most of them from coming back. I don't know if that's, is that the case that you find or do you, does it, they much. Still... I mean, that's, that's why I'm saying like this, this year, like uh, it's the first time in like 10 or 11 years that we haven't done weed man. And, uh, there was only a few spots and the, mostly it was because like, you know, the, the seeds are probably just flying in through the air mm -hmm. or what have you. And uh, yeah, I mean, other than that, what they would do is do like spot treatment. Right. Yeah. So if, uh, if it does come up uh, from flying in or whatever, anyways, uh, we should probably get into the show. <laughs> this could, this I love could it. be some, some bonus, uh, <laughs> bonus extra tips, uh, both, uh, you know, low tech using boiling water to, you know, using interchangeable batteries <laughs> for wait, all wait, tell you, wait, wait till I tell you about my new Wi-Fi connected garage door opener. Oh, there you go. Which I think is a security problem yeah, to probably. be perfectly honest, but <laughs> that's what they gave us. So uh, this is our back to school guide episode. So uh, we did one in 2020, um, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, but I don't think it makes a huge difference that we tend to do the back to school guide uh, based on a couple of factors. So Chris and I, while well, we wait to see what the other back to school guides are, uh, so we wait for those to come out and those are very American centric. I don't, I guess they start, do they start school later than us? They might, they might um, cause the, some of the Canadian tech websites, I don't see as much of the back to school stuff yet. So maybe there's a, there's a week or two difference, but, and then we also look at what's come out and when, because there's not, it sucks to buy a new piece of tech, even if you do need it for school, it sucks to buy a new piece of tech and then it's replaced right away. So we have some uh, recommendations around that. Um, we hope the timing is good. Well, I guess what we would say is that if you can get away with a, without a piece of tech that you think is going to be updated, particularly hardware for a while before you buy it, if you're willing to wait, you know, use the computers at your university or keep using your old one as long as it's good until you can get a, a newer one when it comes out, especially for Apple products. I think that's just our disclaimer. Keep an eye on when that product was released um, because you, if you pay, unless you're getting a really good deal on a previous year's model and then it might be worth it, but don't pay full price for something that's about to be uh, replaced by its predecessor, right? So that I, I know that we talked about that a little bit last year, but I wanna say that upfront because um, I get a lot of questions about when to update just yeah. from people in, my, in the library. So we're gonna work through uh, the list. We don't really have a system for this. Uh, we're gonna start with Windows, work our way through Mac into tablets and then accessories. And then we have some software recommendations based on, uh, and, and some just some comments on, on some of the Apple App Store recommendations. And a lot of these app recommendations are also available for for Android and, and Windows and other platforms. So they're not Apple specific. We tried as much as possible to pick cross-platform solutions. So are we good, Chris, to go into Windows? Yeah, no, for sure. So again, we'll start off with the hardware and then get into some software stuff, but uh, you can kick it off with the Windows laptops. 
Yeah. So last year I had a bit of a laundry list of Windows laptops. There was a, it was a particularly good year. Uh, the pandemic had some great hardware. I think people were really motivated to sell because they knew people were going to be working from home as we're kind of coming out of this or maybe going back in. I don't know where things are going. Uh, I didn't see, at least in the top reviews for Windows laptops to be as much diversity this year. I saw a lot of really okay, cheap stuff. I saw a lot of stuff on the high end. I didn't see as much in between. So I erred on uh, providing fewer recommendations, uh, but that comes with some caveats. So the, the number one recommendation, if you are in the market for a Windows-based laptop, and I think a lot of students still are, and I don't think you have to have an Apple product. Apple, Windows is great, uh, especially Windows 10. I think the, De the Dell XPS 13 personally is our number one. Oh, and I should say, I don't know if I mentioned this clearly before, our method for compiling this list was that we did go through a bunch of back to school lists and kind of, I don't know, average them uh, and then add some of our recommendations. So we did have a bit of a method. So these tend to line up across the board, consistently across all sites. Uh, that, and also in my own opinion, as a user, the Dell XPS 13 is probably the best uh, 13 inch Windows version. And what I would recommend for any Windows laptop, but the Dell XPS included, regardless of uh, which year you get, if it's the newest version or the, the previous version, um, or, uh, you know, if, you know, resolution screen, they, there's a touch option, there's a 1080p screen, there's a 4k screen, there's all sorts of options within that XPS 13 line. It doesn't really matter. It's up to you. I would just say the one thing that's worth spending the extra money on is 16 gigs of Ram. And I, I wanted to bring this up because I, last year, I think I mentioned, at least I hope I mentioned that that was probably the last year you should really get an eight gigabytes of RAM minimum computer. That's been the standard for Windows computers yeah. for a really long time. And I think it's time to go. Yeah, and I, you've mentioned that before, even uh, whenever we give the recommendations, even on the Mac side as well. So uh, just pay that extra little bit, it'll increase the longevity of the device as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good question. People say, well, why do I need it? I mean, RAM, random access memory, typically tells you how long you can store things short-term in memory, right? It's long-term memory is kind of your disk drive. Short-term memory is the RAM. And if you think of uh, RAM as a goldfish, um, you know, it's like working with two goldfish instead of one. That's not a very good analogy at all. I don't know why it works. <laughs> Six seconds instead of three seconds. But you want you want to be able to, have, able to reliably keep open more applications at the same time without A, them uh, refreshing or updating or or getting laggy and things like that. So the Dell XPS is great. The one thing about the Dells is that the previous year's model doesn't really make a difference, particularly now. For many years, the Dells had a webcam. Remember they, I don't know, Chris, you remember they, there was that trend, they had the super thin bezels around the whole Windows screens to make them smaller and look more modern than the Macs. But then the compromise is that they put <laughs> the webcam at the bottom in front of the keyboard. I used to call it the nose cam. Uh, they got rid of that. So they're all at the top now. So if you get the previous year's model on a deal, you'll still get the properly placed webcam at HD resolution. Um, and you know they don't make much of a difference. I don't think the Intel chips are gonna matter much. Yeah. This, I guess the second recommendation for Windows laptops 
would be uh, the Microsoft Surface 4. I don't know the update cycle on Microsoft Surface. I see no rhyme or reason to it. It seems totally random to me. Maybe the Surface laptop is updated more often. I don't remember when this one came out, but uh, it's an excellent device. Uh, they're touchscreens, nice hardware, all aluminum build. That's the closest uh, experience in terms of hardware to a Mac that you'll get on the Windows side. And again, grab one with 16 gigs of RAM. Yeah, that's all I would say. I think the only other thing that I would uh, add to this, um, and it, I don't think it made the list or anything, but it, uh, there is one company that we came across. It's called Framework. And uh, with Framework, what they're doing, uh, you know, you may have seen in the past, there was this uh, idea of creating modular, you know, computers or modular phones. But uh, anyways, Framework has created this totally do-it-yourself uh, uh, model, which uh, starts at $9.99 US. And it literally, you can go and pick and choose your USB uh, slots or whatever, and they just pop out. They give you the full kit. Um, so I, I think this is hopefully, I mean, I... Uh, I'd like to have this company survive because it, it looks like a pretty attractive uh, computer. And I don't think that there's any rhyme or reason why you shouldn't be able to go and, you know, open up your computer and be able to take out parts and have it in a way where it's, uh, you know, not everything is soldered and, you know, glued down or whatever. Uh, I don't know how thin you actually needed to get it, but like this, uh, if you go and watch some of the reviews, the video reviews on this, I mean, it, it's pretty much the same size as an XPS. From a yeah, it's very comparable. I mean, I don't think there's any reason why, like you said, it has to be like that. But I'm just looking at the prices. It's interesting because you can totally configure it. Um, you can also, is it true that it comes in a kit that you can put together? Yeah. Yeah. So you basically all the parts will come together uh, and then it's up to you and you know, you can save because otherwise the, the price is uh, $12.99 US, right? And so you basically save yourself 300 bucks for putting in some of the labor and it's, it's not like overly complicated labor. It's just putting in, um, you know, picking your parts and uh, putting in some screws. Yeah. And I mean, a computer is not that I've actually built, I've never built a laptop. I built some desktops in my time and I, my goal in the future is to build another one, but it's, it's not that difficult. Um, it, there's lots of guides online, uh, and really only every, every part can only fit in one slot. You can't yeah. stick the Ram in the video card slot. I mean, you're deep trouble if you do, I don't know how you would do that, but, yeah. uh, the, I also know that, uh, I don't know if it require if it allows for the same customization, but system 76 has a lot of options as well, but that's, a that's, um, a, a Linux based uh, computer developers. So those are, those computers come with Linux, but I think I may have mentioned them last year or on another episode, but I didn't recommend them this year because I just think that Linux is probably very limited for a student and it'll probably introduce as much as I like Linux, it'll probably introduce more problems than not. Yeah. I mean, anyways, I, I just thought it was kind of a cool thing. Uh, you know, uh, especially because of the modularity and hopefully, and that's why I'm saying like, I, I hope this company, uh, continues because uh, you know they have to get enough of a client base so that they can continue to make and you know do some of that R and D for the various modular components. Uh, yeah. But wouldn't it be nice where you don't have to get rid of the whole thing and you could just take you know like let's say uh, uh, some new type of uh, interface or whatever and you just take that one little component and just pop it in right? And yeah, they, I would they, do that. They literally slide in uh, a lot of them and others uh, you might have to go and 
get your screwdriver out or what have you, but they've actually take a look at some of the videos and stuff, but it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, anyways, uh, we'll move on to the next, like the Apple side of things. Um, and I, on the Apple side, there's a lot of uh, anticipation for the fall that they're going to probably release the, they're calling it the, uh, the M one X. Uh, so, uh, there's hopes that there's going to be a larger laptop, uh, larger iMacs as well. Uh, and then also on the laptop side and even the, the Mac minis, uh, they're hoping to go and have right now, there's only two uh, outputs for uh, some of the, um, uh, like the USBs and stuff like that. And so they're hoping that there's going to be like four uh, ports. And so uh, uh the number one recommended one was the MacBook Air M1, but again, with the caveat that it likely is going to be, you know, upgraded and they're, they're going to come up with their next generation. I would also say, I think both Eric and I were of the same opinion. You probably don't want to have the M1 version if you can hold out because you're literally being a guinea pig for the Apple uh, company and uh, their second generation will likely be a better version. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, that the, in terms of Apple's current lineup today, uh, it's hard for me to, to recommend, I guess, other than ports and storage, why you would go to the Pro. I guess the Pro app, the, the MacBook Pro 13, which also uses the same chip, has a fan in it. So I suppose yeah. it can run at load a little bit longer, but I haven't seen any evidence that there's any applications at this point that would even give it any difference in performance. And even their new desktops also which have fans have the same chip so it's interesting i thought the m so that in the phones or i would say in the high-end devices so let's say the ipad it used to be the what is the a14 now is in the ipad air and then presumably the next ipad pro will get the a14x so is the x going to come out in the higher end models and then these will stay as M1 until they're updated to M2 and then M2X will follow or is M1X? Like, I don't understand how the naming is going to work because it's confusing for people, right? <laughs> well, and who knows? I mean, the, even these, uh, this is just people speculating this M1X thing, right? I mean, maybe it might, they might even call it M2, who knows? Uh, but uh, it, at the end of it, like even, the, you know, uh, Eric from the iPad side of things, uh, from some of the reviews that I've read, uh, they're actually probably going to introduce an M1 chip into the iPads. Uh, and, uh, you know, I well, don't they did know on if, the pros. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think they're going to probably do that right across a lot of these devices, right? So, and I guess uh, that can tie into our next uh, topic as well, like the tablets. Uh, you know, the, the recommended ones are the regular iPad and the iPad Air. But again, they're most likely there's going to be new updates because especially this last time with the, um, uh, the summer event, they didn't introduce anything really substantial other than uh, just a few uh, pro models. Yeah, so the pro models have the new M1. So this will be interesting. So... They've kind of put themselves into a corner. So prior, when this was Intel, you'd have you know i3, i5, i7, and then the high-end i series Intel's would be in the higher-end computers, and they'd be higher clock speed, more core stuff like that. So I have like a six-core i7 Intel MacBook Pro, 16-inch. Now we have an M1 in the base model 
Apple laptops. So presumably there'd be either an M1X or M2 that would differentiate their higher end pro laptops and desktops compared to the, the entry level chips that they've, they've introduced or unless it's just the M1 at a higher clock. So the M1 functions as a entry level chip in the Mac, but in the iPad, the air and all of the tablets that they sell, except for the pro is the a series chip. So the a 14, a 12, all that stuff. And then the M one is in the pros. So is an iPad pro a MacBook like a cheap, the equivalent of a low end Mac, like it, it's a strange kind of thing, right? Like I feel like they did that this for probably production reasons. There's a lot of aspects of the M1 controllers and such that are specifically designed for a desktop interface. So the iPad would never make use of them. I'm assuming it's just cheaper for them to make a chip where they just turn off that functionality and they just have to make one thing that goes in everything, kind of like a car. Yeah, maybe. I mean, uh, the w one review that I read about the Mac uh, mini they most likely are just going to, because that was part of the initial lineup for the M chips. Uh, you know, it had like two ports and it was very base version and stuff. Uh, but uh, what they're saying is that they're probably going to introduce a new Mac mini with more ports and they'll probably just do away with the other one because it doesn't make any sense to have multiple product uh, lines in that series. It's too complicated. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, they should just keep one. And the, and the Mac mini is a desktop. Like, why would you only have a couple of ports on it? That's stupid. Yeah. Like it's not going anywhere. So it should be loaded with ports. I want more ports, the better. Always more, 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 yeah. more. Um, <laughs> so with the iPads, then I guess, I guess our caveat is that the current recommendation is the, the iPad nothing, as it's sometimes called. It has no moniker after it. It's just iPad. Yeah. And that was last updated in, it's usually updated in October. Like they did an education event once. And so that's kind of their, you know, a couple of generations behind their chips. But now, it you know, it has the smart connector. It's kind of like a first-generation iPad Pro at this point, right? I mean, it uses the keyboard. It has the pencil. And then the Air is kind of like a Pro, except it doesn't have the high refresh display. Yeah. 60 hertz displays. And for anybody who's interested in this, 60 hertz is probably all you've ever used. So don't go to 120 hertz display. <laughs> You'll notice how slow everything looks. So a 60 hertz display is fine. Um, I guess I guess the, the advice I'm wondering if we should give people is that I, a, a laptop is slightly more pressing. So I guess if the iPad is going to be their primary device, the advice is the same as the computers, you know, use the university computers or what you have as long as you can. If it's a secondary device, prioritize your laptop as your home device or whatever and uh hold out on a tablet if it's more of a bonus i suppose yeah and i, I guess it depends on uh, you know how uh, you want to go and uh, you know use your devices as well like i'm i'm actually contemplating uh i was having some chats with you eric about this like i'm actually thinking just instead of lugging around in a, uh, my laptop maybe using my iPad Pro and then uh, I just have to look into the dongles and other things. But mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's easy enough to connect your keyboards and other peripherals to that device. And, uh, you know, it's just a, maybe it's a mindset shift that you have to make. Um, Cause really for most people, 
what are, especially for students what are the type of products uh, like software wise uh, you know you just need like the the microsoft suite of products surfing the internet and so on uh, very basic stuff so again with a budget i i think maybe even an ipad might be okay as long as you have uh, uh, you know a keyboard that you can take around or what have you if you're yep, I know. doing long long run kind of uh, work i know people who plug an ipad into a monitor i think the issue is more the file system is limited moving things around um but i mean i, I think if you're taking it to class the advantage of a tablet I think the downside to a laptop, so there was no tablet that you could write with when I was in university. I mean, it was super yeah. expensive, super exclusive. You remember the PC tablets, they were running Windows, Windows XP. I mean, it yeah. was crazy, right? I mean, so they, they were okay. Um, worse than the Apple Newton, even in terms of handwriting recognition and stuff. But the downside to that is that people don't really learn very well. And you and I have talked about this uh, taking notes, just typing, transcribing essentially what someone is speaking. That's not right. You should draw diagrams or reinforce pieces of information, be selective in your note taking. And so writing things down on a tablet, I mean, the iPad has kind of brought back that, except you don't have to lug around all this paper, which is heavy and ergonomics and, and you know, back pain is a real issue. So um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Other than that, it's, I can see the appeal of using an iPad as a class device. Yeah. And I suppose you could have a laptop or a desktop at home if you don't want to take it to school. I mean, in the past, we may have recommended an iMac. I don't anymore. For I don't so much for students because flexibility I, I usually prioritize, but the iMacs are also an excellent uh, option if you just want to have a stationary computer at home. Yeah. Or even like, I mean, I think I've mentioned this for myself. I'm actually seriously considering uh, getting a Mac mini. I already have monitors and sure like the the iMacs are nice with their you know they basically have um, a 5k display but at the same time the price point is a lot higher too right yeah. and so uh but it, in the sense that uh, you don't have to haul around and it's like performance wise especially if you're running things like the uh, adobe creative suite i i honestly think that a desktop might be a better uh, option and realistically i don't need to go and run some of those kind of um, you know, uh, software applications on the go. Right. And so that's where I'm kind of uh, thinking for myself anyways, but um, I, I, I do agree with you. Like in, in so far, I think I've seen in my, let's say these last couple of years, probably, you know, maybe even hundreds of students that I've taught, there's only been maybe two that actually had a iPad with a, a stylus. And then I think maybe a couple of people that had the, the Surface laptop with a stylus, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, again, I, it's, I think it's a mind shift that people have to kind of start mm -hmm. thinking about. And again, like that's where uh, like note-taking is probably that much better uh, from a memory retention and just learning perspective with that stylus. But that being yeah. said, maybe we'll, let's get into the, the keyboards. So I, I know that uh, Eric, like one of the ones I was recommended was this K780 and you have this keyboard. Yeah, so uh, actually it's, it's interesting. It actually lined up well with what happened with the pandemic. So I used to work I bought a more ergonomic keyboard, which is also a recommendation we'll get to for work. Um, I saw so I used to have this this pre-pandemic. I used to have this ergonomic split keyboard at home, which I use, but it was it was really designed for Windows, and I and I wanted something that I could switch to multiple devices with, 
so I can hold multiple Bluetooth connections in memory in the keyboard, essentially. And I think Logitech has done the best job of this. Yeah. So Logitech makes great keyboards nice. So does Microsoft. Those would be the running two, I would say. And so this one's called the 780. It has full-sized keys. They're actually round keys, uh, which seems strange, but you know, I can't even tell the difference after a while. It has a really nice set of function keys that are appropriate to the Mac. It does have a number pad on the side. Uh, so the, the downside to a computer with a number pad on the right, left-handed people won't care about this, is that you are moving your mouse further out so from an ergonomic standpoint, typically you want to have the mouse as close to your torso as possible. You don't want your hand way out here, but you also don't want your shoulder sprawled out, uh, you know, in external rotation because you can get a shoulder impingement, which I've had, by the way, and it's very painful. Uh, so it's a good keyboard. It's very reliable. It has a nice, it's a, it's a membrane keyboard. It's not mechanical. It has a nice kind of a clunk type to it, but it's relatively quiet. Uh, I've been using it for two and a half years. They still make this model. I think two and a half years by now. I'm really happy with it. There's also, I believe, the um, is it the 380, which is kind of their mobile keyboard. Uh, the only issue I have with that is that the keys are a little bit small. It's not quite a full size, so I didn't recommend it. Like smaller than even the Apple keyboard. So that's that's their other ones. Those are their two most popular. Um, they're very flat. So if you, you, it doesn't come with a wrist rest, but I bought a really nice uh, foam wrist rest, but they're very flat keyboards, which is you want your, your hands aren't angled up or angled down. So it's pinging nerves and stuff. You want flat, as flat as you can get in your ergonomic setup. So just from a flexibility standpoint, I, I'm pretty impressed with them. Um, if you prefer a ergonomic setup, uh, you, Chris, use the... Logitech ergonomic, right? Yeah, the K860. So I've been using it probably now a year and a half. And uh, I would say it's it, it's really, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, the original ergonomic keyboard that Microsoft came out with. Mm -hmm. uh, but the nice thing, again, like as you mentioned, Logitech has uh, perfected that ability to have, you know, three presets so I have one that's set up for my PC, one for my Mac, and one for my iPad. So, you know, you can interchangeably go uh, be through these various devices. And I, I guess maybe even just one thing I also wanted to mention with that other one, the, the one that you have, the K780. Uh, I like the fact that it has like that slot where you, if you had a tablet yeah. or whatever that you can just, or your phone, you can put that and rest. Or it a in notebook, there. it carries all, all sorts of stuff fits in there. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, but yeah, this 860, uh, I'm really happy with it. It's, uh, uh, you know, certainly from an uh, ergonomic standpoint, I mean, I guess one thing you're right, like the it does have the numbers on the right side, so it pushes my um, mouse out a little bit further. But overall, I, I like the fact that the uh, wrist pad is integrated right into it, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, uh, it's a pretty nice key, uh, keyboard for sure. I think that one's great. I think that's your ergonomic keyboard. So for folks who maybe don't know, what I mean by ergonomic keyboard is it's split and raised a little bit. So your hands are not flat and in, internally rotated. They're slightly externally rotated. Uh, so you have kind of a, not a quite a handshake position, but kind of halfway between flat fingers yeah. down and handshake. Um, I like that. I, I actually think that's quite, it takes a bit of getting used to because of course the 
the space bar is kind of split in half. Things are on different sides. You can't cheat by using your right hand to get the keys on the left. If that's what you're used to, it's very awkward to do so. So it took me, it did take me a while to get used to it. I think the typing experience on your Logitech is probably the best ergonomic that I've tried. Um, the only other alternative that I would add is maybe a runner up. I think yours is probably the better one. The one I use at work um, is a Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic. So this does not have multiple presets. It is not a Bluetooth keyboard. It uses a dongle, a, a receiver. More inconvenient, but perhaps more reliable because you don't have to uh, constantly pair it. Um, it is a split ergonomic keyboard. But the thing I like about it is that at my because of the nature of my work setup, and this is very specific, the number pad is not possible. I have a Vera desk standing desk at work, which is a manual standing desk where you, you know, you grab the hinges and you can lift the whole top of your desktop. I don't have enough room to put a mouse, uh, if I have a computer with a number pad. So uh, what I've, that particular model comes with a separate number pad that's okay. detached that's on the left-hand side. So it's a little bit more centered. It's still a fairly wide keyboard. In fact, it's only, it's pretty much as wide as this one that I have with the number pad. So I don't think it's any more ergonomic from a mouse holding perspective. It would be super wide if it had the number pad attached. So that one is a, is a more modular and you can buy that. I think they, st so I don't know what's going on with Microsoft. They have a terrible online store and all their stores in person went under and they dropped them. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. They sell that Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboard and it's the split keyboard, not the Sculpt Comfort, which is a different one. They, they sell it as the keyboard with the number pad. They also sell it in a combo where it comes with this semi ergonomic kind of ball mouse. Um, I didn't buy the mouse because I have lots of other mice that I use. So you can't get it on the Microsoft store. I mean, maybe it'll come back. They're selling the Surface ergonomic keyboard, which is twice as much money and I don't think is any better. Uh, maybe it's a slightly more premium feel. Maybe it's made out of magnesium like the Surface uh, tablets. I have no idea, but uh, I just don't think it's worth it. And the wire cutter, which has some really good reviews on keyboards, also does not recommend it. So the Microsoft Sculpt, if you can find it at your local Best Buy, I got it on Amazon, my local computer store, which I really like, did not carry it, unfortunately. Um, it, it, I've been I've been really, really happy with it. And you can get them on sale for, I've seen them as low as 65, 70 bucks, which is pretty good for a really yeah. good ergonomic wireless keyboard. And a nice thing, I, I'm ranting about this keyboard. It looks like a Microsoft stock. Uh, one of the things that, you, that it has with it is it actually has a magnetic battery cover, which I like. So the battery clips will never break off when you have to change the triple A's, which you don't oh, have to cool. change for like two years. Smart idea. It also has a mag, see, it also has a razor, uh, not a razor, like you shave, like uh, uh, raises the keyboard. So it, it kind of sits on an angle towards you, your belly. If you were sitting down, it's a relatively flat keyboard, but if you were standing at a standing desk, the problem with a regular keyboard is that they're so flat that they're too flat. You kind of have to reach way down to type. So there's actually a, a magnetic clip that raises the front of the keyboard. So it's that I clip on magnetically when I go to stand up at my desk. So it has a, a lot of flexibility with it. Very cool. I've been ranting on and on about this. Maybe we should move on to mice. Did you want to kick it off since you're the mouse master? <laughs> mouse master? Is that, I don't know if that, I'm sorry. That sounds bad. That's almost an insult. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, connoisseur. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm a connoisseur, but uh, you know, I, about three or four years ago, I had uh, quite a bit of pain in my wrist just from using excessive uh, uh, use of just the mouse and stuff. And so then I, I put in a little bit of investment. So I've had this. Um, it's a Logitech MX vertical that I got, and uh, you know, apparently Logitech they basically started from scratch and looked at what are the best angles and everything and built this mouse uh, and the experience uh, you know uh, from the ground up and been really happy with it I, I think i probably now have had it for about three years and so uh, that's the one that i use the one thing that kind of sucks about it is um, uh, there is no way to go and change the battery out so uh, presumably once it stops charging the thing is going to be done so unless you plug it in because you can use it plugged in yeah yeah unless you plug it in but then who knows the battery will probably expand and bust out of the shelf who knows what's <laughs> what's going to happen i mean that's the, i think people often forget about that even uh, just when you look at um, you know electric vehicles or anything like that right it's uh, the fact that uh, you know, there's a lot of rare earth minerals that are going into these, uh, like with lithium and other things. And um, I mean, it would be nice to have something where you can easily recycle it. And uh, that's the only thing that I would say Logitech, like they should have just had regular where you can just put in like two double A's or something. But uh, other than that, like it's awesome. It, it has the same kind of functionality where like the keyboard where you can actually have multiple, uh, if you pick it up at the bottom, you have three devices that you can go and sync it up to. So, um, and uh, I, I should say for both of these, uh, like, you know, the ergonomic keyboard that Logitech has, the K860 that I have, as well as this MX vertical, they are expensive. So I, the, you know, it's not like it's a cheap thing, but again, it's an investment in, I consider it an investment in your health. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for those people, um, you know, let's say our audience with like faculty and, uh, even on the student side, you probably would qualify for some type of student discount uh, on the faculty side, maybe the same thing. Plus you can always use your professional development monies that you yeah. have. Well, memory express, uh, I don't think they have a Mount Rogue University discount. I think they have a University of Calgary discount. Yeah. But other computer stores, if you're listening in the States, a lot of um, independent, well, I would say independent, com specialist computer stores. So not, well, maybe Best Buy does, but typically not the big box places, but some of the more specialized chains, they do often partner with colleges and universities and you can get a reasonable discount. So it's worth asking the worst is they're going to say is no. And I think with some of them, it's a significant discount. Yeah. Um, and, and even see if there's uh, online places, sometimes you can get a discount. Um, you can get that stuff through even university stores. Sometimes I remember UBC used to sell fairly reduced accessories for students at, and not at cost, but like 10% above cost kind of a thing yeah. pays for their logistics. So something to worth asking about, and the MX vertical would certainly be well worth it as a discount. If you, I mean, I also, I do know that I, I agree. I also use a vertical mouse and I have a different recommendation, uh, which I'll get to in a second, but some people don't like vertical mice, um, especially if you use your mouse for productivity and gaming niche, but you know, uh, some computer students might, um, or some people's not, I'm assuming their anatomy is different. Maybe a vertical mouse bothers them and a regular doesn't, or even, even a slight angle. So there's the MX master is the high end. I, in our show notes, I made an error here. I put MX vertical MX master is kind of the non vertical high end version 
of Logitech. And that uh, that's very similar to what Chris described, um, multiple um, connections, you can program it. It's a little bit more precise. Uh, so if you're doing Photoshop work where you need the weight of your hand to kind of drive the precision for graphic design, some people prefer that. And then they hand have like a mid-range mouse. They used to have one called the Marathon. They may still make it, but uh, my understanding is that the Logitech Triathlon is a better mid-range mouse. And it also has kind of an ergonomic, not vertical, but an ergonomic take on it. Uh, my, By the way, I also say my wife uses the Logitech MX Vertical. Uh, it's a great mouse. Uh, she took it. Uh, I gave it to her because she was having some pain. Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, but for me and my hand size, and so this is not a knock, I bought it and I was really happy with it, but I, it is a little bit smaller than I'm used to. And I have monster hands. Ironic. I, my last name should be hands. <laughs> that would make sense. Uh, I have really large, I have a very large span. Uh, maybe that's the reason I play the guitar, but I do. And so I, it's a great mouse, but I found it a little bit kind of small for me. I kind of had to grip it. I almost felt like I was gripping like rock climbing. Like I really had that pinch. It's still very comfortable. So if you wanted a larger vertical mouse, Evoluant is a really good company. And actually they just did a big overhaul. They still sell their legacy, a legacy, their older designs, which I, I have an ancient one. This is from 2013, the one I'm using. It's a wired vertical mouse. It is the Evoluant, I'll put it in the camera so Chris can see. It's the Evoluant, um, I think it's big. the D, yeah, Vertical Mouse 4. So it's a little bit more for my paw, and it's a three button here and then the wheel. So it actually, the, the Vanex Vertical had two buttons, and I'm, the way I have it programmed, the software for Evoluant is also really good, just like the uh, the Logitech. That's the nice things about these. They come with the software. You can customize the buttons. And so the middle button, when I click it, it brings up all the windows on my Mac and where I had to use the, I think I used the top button uh, when I had the MX. So I went back to this one, uh, but Evoluant is another company. They are expensive. They're ergonomic specialists. So be prepared to pay. But I, again, I agree with you, Chris. I think it's an investment in, in health. Yeah. So I guess um, did you want to start with the password managers? I have a couple of things to say about them, but I, I mean, you use one as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, so the ones that were recommended uh, is 1Password, LastPass, uh, Bitwarden, which is open source. I personally use LastPass. So do I. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Yeah, feel, feel free to add in your few points. I, uh, I, most review sites seem to recommend I, I think this is an interface preference, one password. LastPass, I think, is more secure, but it's more it's proprietary. So it can't be easily independently vetted for security. And LastPass was also bought by a company called LogMeIn, which is uh, very unpopular. So uh, Bitwarden, if you're, those are the two kind of uh, proprietary ones. If you want a free password manager or something that has a free tier as well as a paid, Bitwarden is a good one. It uses its open source uh, encryption. And so I guess we didn't really explain what a password manager is. A password manager is a more secure way to store all your passwords. So there's desktop apps, mobile apps, um, browser plugins. So for instance, I'm on my phone. I want to log into my internet service provider. I click on the login information. I have a allowed uh, password login manager to work on the iPhone. And that's been a feature for years, I think now. 
automatically fills in, use my fingerprint to authenticate, or you use face ID or whatever you have, or whatever kind of phone, and then it auto fills in the password and remembers everything. So the advantage here, we do have a software section recommendations area that we want to talk about today, but I think for students in this day and age with the different accounts that you have to create for school or otherwise, I would highly recommend that you pair your new computer or tablet or whatever with a really solid password manager because it allows you to not have to remember all these passwords and you're less likely to reuse things over and over. You know, a long 30 character randomly generated symbols, numbers, uppercase, lowercase password. You don't have to remember that. I only remember a handful of passwords that are really critical. A, the password to get into the password manager is not, is memorized and is a long, ridiculous sentence that I created, as well as my bank, Apple ID. There's a few that I have memorized, but for most sites, it's not a deal breaker if I can't get in right away and I have to do a reset. So it, 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 it's a good way, uh, a friction-free way uh, to use randomly generated passwords. So it's a it's a really important and turn on two-factor authentication as well, if, yeah. as for as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I put in some strange ones, some left field, uh, this, I guess this is borderline tech recommendations, but every back to school guide had a laptop, had keyboards, software, all the stuff that we would recommend, but there was like almost tech and then analog stuff to accompany it. So I thought maybe this year we, we include a couple bonus things. So everybody needs a good desk lamp. I can vouch for one of these. Uh, the other ones I cannot. So Tautronics LED desk lamp 38 is kind of a super modern looking LED desk lamp. Uh, I believe it has a Qi charger, like a wireless phone charger built in on the bottom. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a long angular rectangle. So it's almost like a modern Blade Runner-esque version of a banker's light. It's really slick looking. It's very cool. Apparently it's a very nice light. You may be able even to change the temperature on it and they have different variations that you can get. I'm not a, a connoisseur of desk lamps. Other than that, I like kind of fast, old fashioned looking stuff, but that one is very modern. It was almost universally recommended as a desk lamp on every single back to school guide I looked at. So I have never used it, uh, but I, I know people who have it. I know people who are uh, desk uh, accessory uh, fanatics, and that apparently is really the number one recommendation. I think it's kind of expensive. So I also put in a backup, which is the one I have, which is the IKEA Forza. So that is a uh, very 50s style looking desk lamp. Uh, it, takes a, it comes with a nice LED, uh, warm LED bulb like adjustable kind of think Pixar, but like a rounded top. I have a green Forza lamp. It's honestly the best desk lamp I've ever used. It's fantastic. Great light. It's solid steel. It's just a, it's just a tank. It has no charging on it. It's the, uh, it's very basic. So that's, that's my uh, desk lamp recommendation. I don't know if you have a desk lamp thing personally, going. Personally, I don't, I don't have enough space with all my monitors and stuff, but uh uh, I think the ceiling light uh, is good enough for me and the sunlight that comes in. The sunlight's good. I do have a little bit of that. 
There's also a, uh, in our list, we've included a water bottle recommendation. It's good to stay hydrated. This water bottle has no Bluetooth in it. It doesn't tell you how cold the water is. If you lose your water bottle, you're screwed. It doesn't tell you, I guess you could tape one of those Apple tracker tags to it. That may be a good idea, <laughs> but essentially I looked at water bottles. People should always take one with them. I have one, uh, it's called the Hydro Flask. So it's a really good insulated water bottle. You can get them anywhere. They're kind of expensive, but I'm, I'm uh, of the opinion. I don't know how realistic this is, but there's a Reddit forum or a, a subreddit called buy for life. And it's just a bunch of people who bought stuff they've never, that's never broken. They've never had to get rid of. And uh, water bottles often show up on their hydro flask being one of them. Um, backpacks. I don't know a lot about backpacks. I uh, know that uh, ergonomics and thinness are important. You don't want something that's really deep and then uh, therefore pulling you back all the time. So I have a Timbuktu, not it's, uh, the recommendation I would give for backpacks, especially if you want one that, you know, you can put your headphones through and it's designed to have be padded for a laptop and uh, to hold, have a phone holder, water bottle holder, all this stuff. Timbuktu makes some really good ones. As I understand it, the authority laptop bag is really good. I have an older model uh, with a different name. They're really nice if you cycle to university or if you use a bike because they are thin. They have an expander, so I can expand mine way out, but uh, they, they fold up very, very, very thin, which is great because it's not pulling you over pulling you behind on straining the shoulders as you're walking or on your cycle. So uh, I don't know why I included these as I speak about them. This has nothing to do with tech. This is more like a, sounds like a high school back to school guide in this regard, <laughs> but I think water, desk lamps, notebooks. I, I did include a notebook, but I was going to ask you, Chris, did you, do you still, do, do you have any notebook recommendations or am I, am I the last person uh, writing things down on uh, being a paper connoisseur? I mean, I, I still use my moleskins and stuff, but I, I know mm -hmm. that you've uh, mentioned that moleskin, the, the quality has deteriorated and you're recommending field notes instead. Well, the quality, so here's the thing. Uh, uh, if you still write things down on paper, I, I uh, this does have a tech angle, by the way, the notebooks, because of course we're going to talk about scanning apps in a little bit. So Notebooks are important insofar that when you write in them, regardless of the type of pen, you don't want the pen to bleed through and then not be able to write on the other side. It'll make a mess. So I still use a notebook that is a Moleskin uh, because Moleskin has the best uh, partnership branding. So nobody else makes a back Batman or Star Wars notebook. So I don't know sure. what I am to do other than buy one. So I have one. I really like it. This is it. So Chris can see it's Batman. Nice. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I, if you do want like pocket notebooks that don't take up a lot of space, these are stapled together. These are field notes, uh, really good quality paper. This is my gratitude journal. Every day I write something down that I'm grateful for. Um, great paper. I, I use them kind of disposably. I do have a note-taking system, a shorthand, but essentially I write things down and then I scan things that I want to keep that I wrote down and then I, you know, shred them. So they're super pocketable. They fit in a shirt pocket. Uh, so if you're like 80 years old and you want to rock that look, you can do that. Put it in there with your glasses and your pen holder and all that stuff. <laughs> the last thing on our hardware list is chargers. So did you want to, 
Are you familiar with Anchor, aren't you, Chris? Uh, I don't have one myself, but yeah, I mean, it's a pretty popular uh, uh, company just for accessories and, uh, you know, docks and stuff like that. Do you recommend a particular charger or do, I guess you don't, I guess for portability, things are at home. So yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, the only thing that I carry around is uh, maybe my lightning charger and uh, the USB one, which uh, the nice thing is now they're kind of, um, especially for the, the iPad and also the uh, iPhone. Uh, it's, it's a bigger adapter. I think it's, uh, I forget how many uh, Watts it is, uh, but it just charges it a lot faster. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't use as much of this stuff anymore because I'm not as mobile. Um, if you, if my recommendation for someone, if they do want to get chargers, buy a charger with multiple ports, and then you're probably not going to get a charger that charges your laptop, especially if it's Windows. It's going to have a proprietary charger. I still use my Mac charger. That's really what it's supposed to be charged with. But when it comes to the iPad or your Google Pixel phone or any other device that you use, your Kindle, you can pretty much get away with a universal charger. They're they're adapted to, they can adapt to different kinds of devices. Anchor, basic, I think they exclusively sell on Amazon, though I did see their products, I think, in Best Buy, maybe. Uh, they make something called the PowerPort series. They have a variety on their website. Um, and they have a mix of USB-A and C ports, which is great. And so you could, uh, some of them come with four ports. So you could charge your iPad, phone, uh, Nintendo Switch, and one more thing all at the same time. So even if you don't take it with you every day, it's nice to have one thing with all the plugs and that everything charges in the same place. So that was the reason I, I put that on there, just because of bonus. So I'm going to throw in your new backpack along your side of your Hydro Flask. Uh, <laughs> should we go? Did you want to kick us off into the software recommendations? And maybe some of this, what we were thinking about this. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean... Um... Uh, we had this idea that we would go through the app stores and just see what stuff that they have recommended. And um, so they had some various lists and categories and stuff. And the, it was interesting. I, I mean, one thing that I will say is that uh, I wasn't that impressed with Apple's curation <laughs> of the, the apps. I mean, uh, there's some things uh, that I, I don't know who does it and maybe it's just an algorithm or, or what have you, but uh, uh, there's some that I probably wouldn't even have included in that list. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, we had the discussion offline about this and maybe Apple, if you're listening, feel free, you can hire us for, probably on the cheap to help you curate. Whoa, list. whoa, whoa. <laughs> You've already got us down on low on the dollars per hour here. It, well, you're, it is a terrible list. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I've never even heard of some of these. Yeah, exactly. And the, well, I guess maybe we're not on we're in the on the cheap because we're in Canada, so you can get us on Canadian currency. Yeah, we only charge five hundred dollars an hour Canadian, so that's like thirty dollars <laughs> US, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're I mean, it, some of the apps. So you and I looked through the education app categories in the iPhone slash iPad store, the Mac. Uh, and I cross-referenced a bunch of these that would be popular on Android because a lot of these are cross-platform apps. Yeah. And there's some good ones on here, like Good Notes. We'll get to that. Bear is a note-taking app. Ulysses is a writing app. MindNote is a, a note-taking app. Evernote, Fantastical. There's a few in here that are really good, but there's a lot that I feel are in this list like Blackboard, Moodle, uh, simply because they're downloaded because they're mandated by whatever school uses that platform, not because they're novel, unique, uh, life-improving 
thing. So they did have Essential Anatomy 5 on the Mac App Store, which is a pretty slick. If you like to look at that body anatomy, that one's pretty cool. But there's a lot of sometimes even poorly rated apps on these stores. I guess most popular, uh, you know, I wouldn't put a 3.8 as a top education app. I would, I'd be looking at 4.2 stars or higher. That's my 4.2 is a good cutoff for me. So that's, that's what I'm going to arbitrarily go. They also have the Pomodoro app on here, which I just want to say is a total, in my opinion, a total crap system that nobody should use. So I'm just going to, I keep going about this. Why I think that is that really relevant? Uh, I guess we should tell people what Pomodoro means. Yeah, what is Pomodoro? Probably. Well, it's where you basically take like short bursts of time, isn't it? Like twenty minutes. Yeah, I think you're supposed to work. It's like a timer, and then like you're supposed to work for twenty minutes, and you get a five minute break. Then it automatically works for 10, 20, 30 minutes. I think there's a range of times you can set. Yeah, so um, it's a, it's one technique. I mean, some people. Uh, I mean, we were chatting about this as well, but uh, I mean, some people use it for knocking off some of their low end, like, or maybe not low end, but, uh, you know, low intensive tasks, like maybe shallow work or like the shallow type of work. Yeah. I think for that, it works well. I think, uh, you know, it's a total violation of the deep work principle, because if you want to really work on something creative, it takes longer than 20 minutes sometimes to get into it. And then you're interrupted by an alarm. So I think our friend Cal Newport um, would just go crazy. I mean, the Pomodoro app is usually like a tomato timer. I can just see him irate, smashing tomatoes with his with his <laughs> books that he's written. I don't know what he'd be doing, but he wouldn't like it. Uh, that aside, we went through uh, because we were so, we were so disappointed with these categories. We thought they would be brimming with superb apps. Uh, so we curated some categories that would be relevant to students and educators we put in some examples that we'll paste into the show notes we're not going to talk about every single app we'll just kind of talk alternate i suppose generally about the different categories and then uh we'll take it from there yeah so we started off with uh, cloud storage and so on that end uh, something like google drive dropbox or maybe any other kind of cloud storage i mean personally I have my iCloud and also Google Drive uh, on my phone. And iCloud works Google. well. Yeah, I actually find that actually it used to be terrible, but it oh, actually is totally. a very strong competitor now. And uh, my wife and I share files back and forth at like all file types. So, so I need a common place where someone can open them even one at a time and it updates. And that's, it's actually worked amazingly well. It used to just be awful. So um, Apple is a good one, but you get limited storage with a free account. So unless you have an institutional account, which if you're a student, you probably do. Google Drive, we might, you might have unlimited. You may have unlimited, I guess, OneDrive, some OneDrive. UFC. Yeah, yeah, OneDrive is good. They, they all work the same, I guess. I think Google Drive has probably the nicest interface. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think you, you're totally right about the Apple one. It did suck before. And now I've noticed like, even uh, if, if I receive an email, for example, I can go and take that file attachment and actually put it into my Apple iCloud storage just via my phone, which is kind of yeah. nice, which I wasn't able to do before. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it depends on your device, but like, you know, at Mount Royal, we're a Google suite, uh, you know, so Google Drive, I think it's quite common and it probably is the most uh, well used. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I guess the next is terms of notes. 
So if you're on the Apple platform, Apple Notes is an excellent platform. Uh, things like Google Keep are free. Evernote is a longstanding note platform, though I have to admit I haven't used Evernote in a long time. And I did go through some major revisions, which are quite controversial. I think Microsoft OneNote is great. If you like a binder and you want the electronic version of a binder, then that's perfect for you. Uh, Standard Notes is a highly encrypted uh, cross-platform alternative. I've also started using something called Notion. Uh, I'll get back to network notes in a little bit, but uh, the notion is another one. There's some really good uh, multi-platform note taking out there. Yeah. And then I guess I, the next set of uh, apps we were looking at was the Apple Pencil type of notes. So uh, I haven't used these myself. Uh, I'm not sure if you have, but the, the ones that we came up with uh, was good notes, notability, and explain everything. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I'd actually, I wonder if I should have put Bear in the other one. I don't know if it does Apple Notes. I think Bear is probably more of a traditional Notes. That's my error. But okay. uh, Good Notes is, is so Good Notes and Notability would be the front writers if you use an Apple Pencil. I do not think they're cross-platform, so apologies, folks. We did not recommend uh, <laughs> an Android tablet because they're so bad. I, I just, if you're an Android user, you're better off with a Chromebook and a, an Android phone than buying a tablet. I just haven't seen ones that I could honestly recommend. But those two apps for the iPad at least, are really good. Apple Pencil support, they do pressure sensitivity. I use Notability. Uh, GoodNotes is another, there's pros and cons. There's lots of comparison videos. I think it doesn't really matter. Explain Everything is more of a teaching, a whiteboarding app where you can actually record the notes as you're taking them. Uh, and I record sessions where I whiteboard things as I teach and I record that and I provide that to students. So that might be really helpful for instructors was my thought. Explain Everything is free. Uh, it's an excellent app. There's a paid version. It used to be paid only, uh, but it's really good. That's cool. Network notes is something that's comparable to the two. So I'm actually going to, I'm hoping that we, Chris, you and I can talk about this in a, another episode in, in more depth, um, maybe an update to our capture configured control, looking at organization with technology. We can do a follow-up at some point. We did one last year, our episode nine which I'd highly recommend people to check out. And we re-released it as well, but I don't remember what the re-release was. The original yeah. is Capture Configure Control Episode 9. Uh, but there's this idea of network notes. So uh, it's called the Zettelkasten. It's a very German method. And I think that stands for uh, note box in German. So that the guy who developed this method was actually doing this with uh, index cards, like recipe cards. And he... His whole, he was a sociologist and his whole principle was that he had like notes that you took in the margins of books and papers that you printed. Those, those are fleeting notes, like things that you just needed to write down to remember now. And then they would be deleted at some point or shredded because there was no computers back in the 19th century. Then you had literature notes was the next level. So that's where you would convert all of these little notes that you took into uh, an idea. So if you had a book, there's different ways to do this. If you had a book where there was 10 ideas, you may write, you may write 10 different notes, one note per idea that the book represents. And you would try to write those notes in your own words as much as possible with the reference to wherever that came from. Uh, the rule being is that whatever you wrote had to be readable in its own context 10 years from now. So trying to, so you could go back 10 years and go, I totally understand what that idea means. So brief, but robust. Some people change this up by, uh, taking a literature note, uh, one note per source. 
So like you may have two pages of notes on a book or something like that. I think it's flexible. And then eventually you come up with permanent notes, which are your own ideas. The key to this method, this long story, is that you do bi-directional linking, meaning that if I come up with a new insight, my own idea, I may have come to that conclusion by reading multiple sources. So if I'm reading a note, I would want to backlink to the other notes that informed me uh, with that information where that allowed me to come to that decision. So there's a few networked note programs. I think I've mentioned them before. Notion, I put in the above list, but it's a network note program. So I can actually link notes together. I just started playing with it. Uh, and I've kind of been working with this system and setting it up all August. So I want to come back to it at some point. There's a new one that's in beta called MEM. And then there's one that's paid. I'm sorry, I try to avoid paid stuff. Notion is free. MEM is also free for now. Uh, Rome Research, which is really popular among um, investigative journalists and stuff like that who need to connect different pieces of interviews and information. It's expensive. Uh, Rome Research is like hundred and something dollars a year, but there are scholarships and discounts for students and educators. So uh, these are networked notes systems. We'll come back to that at another time. Sounds good. And then on the writing side, we thought uh, we'd uh, just list a few. And it was Ulysses Scrivener, which we have talked about before, and uh, we've played around with a little bit as well. And it's supposed to be really well uh, regarded for those who are looking to write books or some maybe theses or what have you. And um, uh, there's also Mars Edit, uh, which uh, I don't know if, how much uh, have you played around with this, Eric? Or? It's very similar to Scrivener, uh, except it's uh, also has the functionality to publish right to certain web platforms. So it's kind of like you can write a WordPress post right in Mars Edit, and it'll publish right to your account. But you can also use it as a as a writing app, a words app. And I've been working with Scrivener because you got me kind of a deal or a license to it. And uh, I don't remember however that came about, but it's a really cool app. Um, and I've been really enjoying it, all the different templates that you can create with it, like a book template, APA paper template. I think it's far superior to writing in Microsoft Word, to be perfectly honest. I, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 And then I guess the, the building on that is just distraction-free. Those editors are editors that have minimal tools. Uh, so the tools and the formatting, you don't that doesn't get in the way. We tend to procrastinate as people. So we tend to format and format and not write. So these are tools that like IA Writer, Byword, Ulysses, Hemingway, uh, these are apps that you can kind of just get rid of all the toolbars and the clutter and you can just focus on the text itself. Um, sometimes they allowed for writing in Markdown as well, which is very helpful if you do blog posts. But for students, it would really be just kind of like using a text editor. Yeah, for sure. And then on the mind mapping side of things, uh, the the one that we saw right across a lot of the, the lists was uh, MindNode. I haven't used mm -hmm. this myself, but um, yeah. I have an old cool. version. I don't have the newest one. Yeah, but you have you recommend some other tools as well. We talked about that in the past, Chris. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, for students I've, to collaborate. Yeah, I mean, I've used uh, other ones that uh, uh, in my various courses that I've taught. But uh, there was Mural, Miro, and uh, then you can also within Google, uh, you can also use Jamboard. Um, it's, I mean, it's not made for, um, mind mapping per se. It, it takes a little bit more work with the, the Google one. Uh, but, um, you know, it, at least, uh, people can collaborate on the fly and it's free. 
And on the other, the other ones that I've mentioned, like Miro and Mural, uh, just check with your educational institutions, but they do provide uh, typically educational licenses as well. Yeah. And I played with those because of your recommendation. And I, I really like them both. I don't remember which one I prefer because I can never remember. Uh, I think Miro maybe was the easier to use. Miro is uh, probably a little bit easier, um, you know, and the, there's kind of, there's like a learning curve and we've chatted about this in the past, right? There's, so there's, there is a bit of a learning curve. And uh, I think the other reason why maybe we gravitate more towards Miro versus Mural is uh, the educational license. They actually give you up to a hundred users, mm -hmm. uh, at least uh, through UFC anyways. Uh, and I'm sure maybe uh, other institutions, if you just reach out to them, which is nice if, I mean, if you had like a, even a few sections that you want to go and use this with for your students, um, it certainly uh, makes it a little bit easier. And plus, uh, just learning wise, it's uh, it's a little bit more intuitive, um, I think. Uh, and both of them, I mean, you can take a look. They have templates already built in. And so you can go and pull out some of these like, uh, you know, uh, whether it's like an empathy map or whatever. But so it's a little bit maybe more versatile than just having mind maps per se. So, yeah. Well, and I, I think they work better as a collaboration board. I don't think uh, MindNode is a cool uh, mind mapping tool, but I don't think it's free. I don't know if it has any collaboration built in. Yeah. So kind of a problem. Um, I also put in automation tools. I don't know. I was stuck on this, Chris. I wasn't sure if this would be totally helpful for students. I know that if you're on the Apple platform, Apple Shortcuts, as well as the Mac Automator, I suppose I should have included that as well. But they are, that's their, uh, operating system level automation. So you can, you know, every time you get to a certain location, you can set up like a geofence that, you know, automatically tells you, you know, what your calendar events are. You can set up all sorts of cool automations, but that's Apple specific. The one that I've actually used more is uh, IF triple T, which stands for if this, then that. Uh, so it's kind of a no code automation system. And uh, they have a really cool website, ifttt.com. And they basically, you can sign up for this uh, account and it ties into a whole bunch of other services. So the, the example that I give is that I wanted to track my work hours. So I had it, every time I went to campus, it would put in a arrive date to campus. And every time I left, it would create a, um, a leave date. And then I could calculate how much time I spent on campus which is a frighteningly large amount when I did that, maybe less now. Uh, but it's it's that's just one example. But you can automate all sorts of cool stuff, like you know, uh, make sure to. Well, I, I, it's an endless list. So there's there's some really cool stuff with automation. I know some students. I put this in because I, more students have asked me about automation tools. I think it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Getting a more, I've had questions at, even at the reference desk. Hey, what is automation tools? I'm writing a paper on it and I also want to try them out. That's a great online platform. That's cross-platform. I've been really impressed with it. I don't know how secure it is, but it's, uh, I really enjoy working with it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting Like you, you say <laughs> you're spending so much time on campus. It makes me feel like uh, there was this one time I actually went through the exercise of figuring out how much my hourly wage is once oh, I don't factor, do that. In, uh, factor into account, um, you know, parking and driving and marking and yeah, don't do it. Definitely. Don't <laughs> do it. You're gonna, you might get depressed. And we can donate to the Chris hands fund by calling toll free. <laughs> no, I'm, just joking. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> on the, the book front, um, uh, we looked at it and again, the, actually the, these, some of these apps were recommended as well. Um, uh, but, uh, there was a Blinkist. So it's a book summarizing service. Uh, I haven't personally used it, but, uh, it, they're always trying to sell me on it. And, uh, I, I sometimes do feel compelled, but my solution has been just listening to audiobooks at two X speed. And so, uh, audible yes. is a good one. Um, I I've actually been just using even the Calgary public library and, uh, I mean, they have a pretty decent selection and I mean, I'm sure even any of your local, uh, libraries that you might have some pretty decent, uh, you know, selection of books that you can get. And uh, do you use the Libby app or do you use overdrive overdrive? What's the difference? I thought Libby did both. Libby is also done by overdrive. So I don't understand why they have both. I, I don't know. I just, I didn't even realize uh, there was a Libby. It was uh, more so that um, that's what the, the Calgary public library recommended using. Okay. Well, it's funny that so Calgary public library, um, so Overdrive is a library-specific audiobook and ebook service. Um, Overdrive is a company uh, where you can download. I think maybe is that ebooks or just audiobooks? I believe it's both. It's both. So there's audio. There's Overdrive, but then also recommended on the CalgaryLibrary.ca <laughs> is Libby which is they advertise. So I wonder if that's becoming the successor. I have feeling it's kind of one of those things where they said, eh, we're not sure which of these interfaces is going to succeed. So they rolled out both, but you can get all the same titles that you get through the same library on both apps, which I think is hilarious. So I've been using Libby, you've been using Overtribe. <laughs> we should do a comparison, but it's funny, like always check your local library for audiobooks particularly audiobooks over ebooks and print i'm amazed how more quickly i can get access to those over the other formats yeah maybe because sure. they haven't caught over yet i still pay for audible um it's a cost so students may not be interested there's at audible.ca and .com if you can believe it i still use audible.com because there was no .ca when i started and i have 150 books in my <laughs> library <laughs> and i don't want to transfer them to .ca because then i lose my uh, morning summary of the Wall Street Journal and all the stuff that comes with the and the sales are no are all gone and all that stuff. So I like Audible. I I, uh, I get my one book a month basically. Uh, by the way, I did a trial Blinkist, oh, and you? it's so that's why I put it on. It was also recommended. It's actually quite compelling. I felt like I learned a book that I could have spent twenty hours listening to summarized it in ten minutes. I was like, this is the secret to pretending that I'm smarter than I really am. So <laughs> I was really impressed. And it, it was very good production value on both ends of the, the transcript side and everything. So yeah. interesting. I didn't pay yet. I already paid for Audible. Maybe Amazon should buy them and roll it in. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make sense. Cause if you think about it, a lot of these books, like really it's, it's almost like what Blinkist is, is like the Coles notes to, mm -hmm. you know, modernized version. And uh, a lot of these books that I've listened to, I mean, you probably could summarize like the very key points in a very short span. Right. And uh, I mean, the, the way I'm getting around it is basically two X speeding while uh, I'm doing maybe some chores around the house. And that's how I get through like a, a book, a, a whatever, like, maybe one a month or whatever, one every couple of weeks. I know people who do it three times. I don't know how they hear it. Yeah. It, it, two is the 
two is actually I find I, I uh, is actually way better than at one speed. It's uh, to me it feels like it's too slow at one, especially with an auto like some of these ones where the the, the voice is just so I don't know maybe um, monotone. Our next section will be no i'm just joking uh e-learning resources i'm trying to do it at like 0.5 speed now i i'm a one i'm a one x i haven't gone to the uh the two speed for audiobooks i can do it for podcasts i haven't haven't committed yet i, I really want to listen to all 42 hours of Ham alexander hamilton's biography so e-learning apps um i classify these as supplemental, meaning that they don't replace your university education, obviously, but they do have courses that are off some free, some not, um, and tools that may be helpful to summer a supplement. So Khan Academy is kind of the, I think that was the first, uh, started as a not-for-profit tons of videos on calculus, especially the maths and sciences, which is really cool. Uh, Duolingo highly recommended for languages. I think Duolingo also just raised a bunch of money in a funding round. I think they're maybe going to go to public at some point. They're really cool. Great language learning app. Uh, Coursera, of course, uh, they have lots, Udemy and Ted. I don't have anything to say about them as they should give them all a go and look for free courses. Yeah, for sure. And then we had another category that we came up with was uh, was for reference. Um, so some of the the reference ones that you can look at, there's obviously Wikipedia, um, there's terminology, and I, I'm not familiar with this one, the, this Wolfram Alpha. <laughs> so Wolfram Alpha is what Siri should have been. Interesting. So the original Siri, when it was rolled out, like the app, before Apple bought it, was the back end was using Wolfram Alpha. So Stephen Wolfram um, has a company called, I think it's, is it just called Wolfram? Let's, let's look it up. I don't want to screw this up. StephenWolfram.com. He's like a mathematician, physicist, scientist. He's like this super genius. And he's written a bunch of books. Um, but Wolfram Alpha is kind of, his reference AI um, platform. So you can go to wolframalpha.com. You can use it on the web and you can ask it questions. So I could type in bird with longest wingspan. And it uses a whole bunch of different information uh, that it pulls together. I'll even send this to Chris on a chat. So I do this all the time with students. They uh, ask me like these factoid questions that, and I, look, Wikipedia, if I give them a link to Wikipedia, they're not impressed. But if I give them a link to Wolfram Alpha, then it's like, whoa, this guy's for real. He's super serious. So super cool reference app, pulls in data from multiple sources. You can kind of type in things in natural language. It's free, or you can pay, uh, you can also, I think, type things in, uh, it has its, like Wolfram, has its own kind of no code kind of syntax that you can learn to ask questions. It's a, it's a really cool reference app. So I just sent Chris a bunch of stuff. Interesting. Uh, and, and so it's interesting it takes a bit of time to work with, but it's a really cool reference for dictionary words, whole bunch of stuff. It's cross-platform terminology is similar though. It's just a dictionary app. It's like a fancy boy dictionary app that costs money, but I really like, so we have one more category scanning apps 
So this may be the most essential of all of them outside of a password manager, I would say. Uh, don't keep paper forever. You'll never read those notes again, especially if they're not networked and they're totally out of context and you can't read them half the time anyways because you took them down with pen. What I'd recommend, uh, what I have found is to be a lifesaver is I take notebooks. When I'm done with the notebook, I flip through the pages and I go, that's useless, that's useless. Oh, but that note was a really good idea. That's useful. So I, I archive them. I digitally scan them. So these scanning apps like Microsoft Lens, Adobe Scan, and Scanner Pro slash Scanner Lite, kind of, uh, if you have like a rounded page in a notebook, for instance, it'll kind of flatten the page, make it look like a photocopy. And you can actually do optical character recognition in these. And I think the Microsoft one probably feeds into some of its other tools, same with Adobe. So uh, I find them fantastic. I just scan them, saves it as an image or, or usually a PDF, um, put in my file naming convention. And then I have a folder on my computer that says archive notes. So when I have a notebook, I usually have written in that notebook between a certain date range. So I say archive notes, you know, September 1st, 2021 to whatever. And then that is a file of notes that I can look through. So don't keep paper. You can just scan them, back them up, save them to your unlimited uh, Google Drive storage from school or something like that. That's yeah, pretty sure. much all the recommendations for software and hardware that we have today. Is there anything else that we want to talk about? Any yard work stuff that we should come back to? <laughs> Other than the boiling water, which is a lifesaver. I'm going to go out there and do that later. I don't have anything else to do. Boiling water. Yeah. I could you pour coffee I mean? on them for my French press. It's pretty hot. Oh, there you go. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, uh, one thing that might be, you know, for somebody from like a, a home developer side of things, I bet you if you just had the option of going and having hot water, it doesn't even have to be completely boiling, like just uh, like super hot, just like yeah, how you have the taps. If you could do that outside, and I think everybody could just eliminate their weeds. Yeah. I can imagine like these hoses with like two lines hooked up to them all the time. One is like liquid lava, hot water. And the other one is like ultra ice cold. So you can yeah. just like kill weeds and then water and then kill weeds and water. <laughs> spray the whole lawn down. People would do, somebody would do that. Or you know what would happen? They would spray their kid and they would just take it away and it would get banned. That's what yeah, would happen. That's, that's probably what would happen. It's pretty funny. Anyways, Chris, <laughs> you can you can probably edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, he has to leave it in now because we said it. Um, with that, uh, Chris, did you want to let people know how you can uh, get a hold of, with how they can get a hold of you? Uh, so uh, you can find all my handles. Uh, I have my own personal website. So it's Chris with a K. So K R I S H A N S. Dot .ca and my uh, Twitter handle is at Chris Hans as well. And I'm Eric Christensen. My website is ericchristensen.net, spelled uh, the Uber Scandinavian way. So E R I K C H R I S T I A N S E N dot net. I don't have a dot CA. Just had to be different. Uh, my Twitter handle is at E G Christensen, and I also blog. Though not for a while at techbytes tech-bytes.net. Uh, 
So that's what we have for you today. We hope this back to school episode was helpful. And if you have other back to school questions or tech tips, please reach out to us and we will answer them as soon as we can. And I'm Chris Hong, the audio producer for EdTech Examined. You can get in touch with me and contact me through all of my social media at my website, which is chrishong.ca. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-O-A-N-G dot C-A. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time. Okay. Anyways. I'll do a, I'll do a countdown for Chris. And then we can just talk about whatever. Okay, cool. Chris, if you're listening to this, I'm going to start counting down and then I'll introduce it. Yeah, you can so, put this in the after. <laughs> that's right. Three. <laughs> <The> takeouts. <laughs> three, two. Actually, on a side note, um, uh, while we were like recording this, uh, some of my friends were like texting me. And uh, apparently, you can get the iPhone 12 for 420 bucks and so it's basically it's uh, at superstore 17 dollars and 50 cents a month over two years and that's with any plan any carrier um so interesting they must be trying to just get rid of their 12s but like at 420 bucks yeah i mean that's that's pretty decent i mean it's not the pro but i don't know if you really need the pro it's the same chip i use an iphone 8 plus yeah there you go. So old school. But anyways, that's a good tip. I guess we didn't put phones in on here, but there was a reason for that. So we will. Phones aren't necessary for students. <laughs> that's why I've decided as of the rules I just made up. So exactly. thanks so much, Chris, for taking the time today and to compile this list. Yeah, and uh, we'll get back to people next time. All right.